0: Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode in my podcast series, Did It Anyway. Uh, As always, I start off my podcast series by saying I am excited for the special guests that I've got, but I think... um, each time i learn more about people's stories i am genuinely excited to speak to them about the challenges that they've faced and the way that they've been able to overcome those challenges and act in spite of the challenges that they've got in life to still look for the positive find the positive and be able to continue to move forward with their, with their lives and this guest that i've got on now is a perfect example of that and i'm really happy to be able to speak to her today uh, so on the on the line we've from all the way from the united states again actually Uh, We've got a lovely lady by the name of Lisa McFadden, and Lisa's going to share a story with us of um, real courage and determination to to continue on um, with her life under immense challenges and immense um, real hard times, I guess is probably the best way to describe it, not something that I've experienced before, and probably a lot of people wouldn't experience what she has gone through, but there'll be elements, I'm sure, as you listen that you'll be able to take away and apply to your own lives. And so um, without me going on too much longer, I'm going to introduce Lisa. Are you there?
1: I am. Hi.
0: So Lisa, I'll hand over to you. Why don't you tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Hi, I'm Lisa McFadden. Um, I'm living here in the United States in Utah. I've been here for almost four years. I'm a transplant from Southern California where I spent all of my life growing up. Um, I have four children, ages 13 to 27. I have three little granddaughters, ages one, three, and almost five. And I'm a registered nurse by trade. And.
0: Awesome. And so why don't we, your your story is quite amazing um, to me as I learnt more and more about it before I had the opportunity to actually speak with you. And so I'd love to jump straight in really and tell us a little bit about your story. And if we maybe uh, rewind time just a little bit and head back to the days where you were living in California, you were um, married for a long period of time, um, 22 years, is that right?
1: Right, almost 23 years.
0: Uh, almost twenty three years um, to your husband Dave, um, and something obviously tragic happened, and he lost um, he lost his life. Could you tell us a, bit, a little bit about a little bit about that? Um, what was happening in your life at that time, and what happened to your husband?
1: Sure. Um, so I was uh, well, I was working full time, uh, as was he, and I had, I was a rather, have always been a rather independent person and my husband was always a bit of a homebody. So I did a lot of little trips, day trips, or even little vacations on my own with the kids. Um, my two older kids were out of the house at that point and I had my younger two, um, 10 and 13, at home with me. And, or, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. I, I'm getting confused on the ages. So um, seven and 11 at the time. And so my husband and I had actually had a spat. And so we had a fight, and I was kind of doing what I guess I was pretty good at, which was giving him the cold shoulder and the silent treatment, (laughs) which I'm told is a very passive aggressive thing to do. And uh, I have to agree with that. But I had plans to go away for the weekend to my dad's lake house with the kids. He wasn't planning on going oftentimes didn't. And so we left for the weekend and um, was planning on coming home Sunday. And he and I, you know, we'd been married so many years. We weren't the type that, you know, had to be in touch every day. And like I said, we were in this fight and, Um, so Sunday evening I texted him and I said, Hey, I'm going to stay another day. I'm going to come home Monday. And he didn't respond to my text, but I didn't really think anything of that because I thought, you know, he's home alone, no kids, definitely, you know, just relaxing. He likes to sleep in because he works hard and gets up very early. He's probably just napping. He got my text and is like, fine, you know, she'll be home Monday. Um, came home Monday afternoon and the, the interesting thing is that there were things that were wrong from the time I got home. And the first thing was that I got home about five minutes before he would normally get home from work. And he was very much set times, didn't usually ever come home earlier or later. And his car was in the driveway, which surprised me, first of all. The second thing was that it was a little bit off to the side blocking where i would normally pull into the garage and i thought well now that's strange he's in my spot sort of i walked up to the front door and as i went to open the door this thought passed through my head of i hope he's not dead and i don't know why and i opened the door and the kids ran in i went to see the dogs that were in the backyard I didn't see him or hear anything and I headed upstairs and I just had the worst feeling and I got to my bedroom and found him dead on the bed Um, like I said I'm a nurse I'm an emergency room nurse I've I've dealt with death quite a bit and by seeing him I knew that not only was there no question about the fact of whether or not he was in fact dead but that he had been dead um for more than a day. So um
0: yeah, the shock so of that, it. I go ahead. Yeah, what was your I mean, your initial reaction well, obviously would be overwhelming and it
1: it was. Do, it was
0: how did you deal with that image?
1: So many things hit you all at once. Um and so I knew right away that there were a bunch of things I needed to do. Um know, I was thrown into shock, but I had to immediately start doing things which were namely, I had to call 911 and I had to tell my kids. And I'm not really proud of the way I had to go about it because I had such a little amount of time to think things over and plan out my words and do the best thing for my kids. And so um, I first quickly called nine one one and you know they wanted to send paramedics which they did and everything but I said, you know, I'm a I'm a nurse, I'm telling you. He's he's absolutely not alive. And um so before they got there, I had to go downstairs. I had to tell my younger two children and I had to call my older two. And it was awful. It was awful. I had to make the calls to his mom. Um you know family members and so people started arriving and they had continued arriving for the next days and weeks as I kind of just went through all of the motions of the things you have to do to plan a funeral and to you know take care of your children and and deal with all of that so that's why I guess they say you know funerals I mean we know funerals are for the living but it really does give you something to do, although it's not that I enjoyed doing any of it. Yeah. It was
0: it was hard. Um, that That is, um that's an incredible story, I guess. I think what stood out to me is you mentioned at the start that, that you'd had a fight before you left. Um, right. I'm interested to know how did you deal with that emotion? I've no doubt <laughs> that you would have gone, oh, if I only didn't say this or I only didn't say that, how right. did you... How did you manage right. that sort of that sort of thought process, because obviously none of this is your fault, and it 's just a horrible yeah. situation. yeah, um, how did you deal with that?
1: Well, you know going through your mind like crazy is that whole thing of this is the worst case scenario you know we were fighting, and now he 's died, and our last words were harsh, and this is horrible, um, but something that i 've experienced. Um, you know, in both of my situations. And when he passed away is that I I believe when someone dies, they, they remain close for quite a while. And there are things that happen, whether they're through impressions, um, for me, a lot in dreams. And um, I had early confirmation from him that basically were the words, you know, Lisa, it's, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. I know that fight was nothing. It was little. And, you know, I'm not worried about that. Oh. You know, I know how you felt and just don't it's even stress about that fight.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. I was so caught up in your story as you started to tell that story. Was that I didn't ask how he died. So um, what was the, Oh, yeah. Um, what happened?
1: So, well, it was. So he had turned 50 the month before. And so, you know, the the police were there and paramedics and everybody. And it's really strange because there was no obvious reason, you know, at the scene. And so the police immediately are kind of suspicious and questioning my older son and posting an officer at the bedroom door, not letting anybody in. It was really kind of strange for a while. And they said it would be a coroner's case. And that an autopsy would be done. Well, he was taken to the um, to the summit, to the mortuary, and I, I don't remember the time frame exactly, but it was within a few days. And they said, "Okay, well, you know, he's been signed off by the coroner." And I said, "Okay, I so what happened? I'm dying, especially as a medical professional. I am dying to know what happened and what caused his death, because I had certain things in my mind that it had to have been, you know, heart attack. Of course, one of them." And they said, oh, you know, it was heart disease. And I said, okay, did they do? an so that was what the autopsy showed. And they said, oh, actually, they didn't do an autopsy, because really, once someone turns 50, they're going to chalk it up to being a heart related disease. And that just sent me off. I said, absolutely not. That's irresponsible. I have to know why he died. He's 50. That's a young person. He had no medical history. He took no medications. You know, yeah, just
0: to it off and just get. Yeah. yeah,
1: it wasn't like he, he. I mean, he had a physical job. He was fairly fit. You know, he didn't drink or smoke. There were just. And so um, anyway, I had to go to the coroner and deal with the coroner's office and deal with the head doctor there and back and forth and. And he understood my point of view. I said, you know, you go into the hospital with a, an illness or something, the doctors will oftentimes ask you, you know, how old were your parents when they died, if they died, and why, what did they die of? And my kids are going to have no reason for how their dad died at 50. You know, in this day and age, that's, we need to know. And so he agreed because the option was given to me to do, to pay for my own autopsy on him. And I thought that wow. just seems ridiculous. So... Anyway, I got the coroner to agree to do an autopsy and it turned out he had had an aortic aneurysm, um, oh. which is the same thing that, I don't know if you remember, John Ritter died of years ago and I think it, it got really kind of a lot of publicity at that time. Um,
0: so it but was, so that, it's the,
1: kind of just...
0: It's really, isn't it? When that happens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, it was a something that even had I been home, because of course, you know, all the what ifs going through my mind, had I been home, did he even call 911? Could I have gotten him in on time? It's such a, the mortality is so high with that. And even if they get to the emergency room, the chance of survival is small. So um, So thank
0: you. Thank you for sharing that. That's a very detailed account of what happened. um, Probably a worse nightmare for somebody to come home and see their, you know, their their husband of, you know, 22, 23 years, um... To pass away is just—it's horrific. It's horrific. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I appreciate it. What I want to do is skip forward a little bit, if we could, because I imagine the shock uh, would be intense early and so busy, like you mentioned, so many people coming and going and organising the funeral—all of those things that everybody has to go through when when somebody dies—and right. it can be very overwhelming. Right. And but there's so many people around. If we skip forward mm-hmm. a few months, I want to know what was the effect that it had on you and that it had on your Um, on your kids after everybody was gone, after normal life had resumed a couple of months later, what was the effect that that had on your children and yourself?
1: Well, besides losing my husband and dealing with that grief, for me, even being a very independent person, I was married to him, like I said, for almost 23 years. You know, we shared everything financially, physically, taking care of the kids. I worked a shift where I was either off at 10 or midnight. So three nights a week, he was fully in charge at home, and we kind of tag teamed. And so then to lose that person that takes care of happier life with you was just daunting, because it was so overwhelming to me. And I looked at things that were more man things like our toy hauler and our quads and motorcycles and the house yeah. and the pool and all these things. I thought, I can't do this by myself. He does all of that. And so Um, I came to realize though, you know, as people did dwindle away and I didn't have all those people there, that I had some really good male friends that were, that just absolutely stepped up and came in and took care of things that I needed. And that with their help, I was able to handle these things. And so for me, it was, there was a sense of empowerment as some time went on. And I realized I can manage my life. I'm thrown into being a single mom now, which is a totally new thing. I never thought I would be it. But um, I'm making things work. And there were so many just, if you will, hand of God in my life. At that time, I was working, like I said, in the emergency room, 12 hour shifts getting off late and so immediately you know I knew I can't do this anymore I can't can't leave the kids and my department had taken up a collection of money for me that allowed me to take I think it was about three months before I had to go back to work full-time anyway and I really wanted to move over to an outpatient daytime surgery center that was part of the hospital that worked a more of a nine-to-five Monday through Friday Exactly, but there were no openings, and that was a a lot of kind of people, nurses that left the ER would go there to kind of just take it down a notch as far as the the work routine and hours. There was no position. Those nurses didn't leave. Well, one of the nurses there, um, her name was Lisa also, it was Lisa, she had worked in the ER, and her and I were acquaintances, I mean, but we weren't friends that hung out or anything, and she called me one day and said, Lisa, I've decided that I am going to give you my job. And I'm going to go train into the OR. And you can have my position. So I was able to move into something that worked, you know, my kids. And so again, I saw that things were just being paved for me so that I could handle my life as a single mom that had to work full time. And for my kids. You know, it's strange. You think at that age, like I said, I had to just tell them so abruptly, and they were literally just walking around the house, just sobbing, just crying. And I'm dealing with people and the police and everybody else, and I had a a new daughter-in-law, and so her and my son came over, and she comforted my daughter. They were close, my seven-year-old you know, I was comforting my son and, you know, making sure that they had people to sleep with and they weren't alone at night. Yeah. And, um, but I thought, you know, kids are kids and they need, they need a distraction and they need fun. And not that I don't want them to be thinking about the fact that they just lost their dad, but I don't, I know I need to distract them as much as I can. And so, you know, it's funny. My son had, I think it was one of the play or Xboxes that he was into, and his had just broken. And to so my best friend, I said, you know what? I need you to go buy a new Xbox right now. I can't have him not have his video game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I invited his best friend over, and I said, you know, I need you to bring, call my friend Deanne. I need you to bring Fisher over. I need him to come, be with Logan. And I tried, and I think for the months after he passed, I tried to just make things as fun as I could for them and have lots of friends over. And just do whatever I could for them to make them happy. So that they could have that to just balance out the grief that they had.
0: But it was my
1: son. Yeah, and my kids were they were close to their dad and especially my son and, and he kind of just as much as I tried to have friends and fun and stuff like that, he really closed up and I didn't really talk much. And in hindsight, you know, I should have had him see a
0: therapist to talk it out. But but you, you know. do the best you can at the moments that you're in. And I, I would imagine, I was right. just thinking, as you said, I tried to keep the kids busy. I tried to work, you know, have them um, distracted. Did, did that become tiring for you to always not be able to maybe take the time you needed to grieve? As opposed to just trying to focus on everyone else or was it was it harder for you, or did that help to have something else to focus on?
1: Um, I think it helped with my kids because i just I did just turn my focus completely to them because I just felt such the weight of being a single mom now, and I needed to step up to that right away, and there was no time to put that off. Yeah. And I had to take care of my kids. So I, I think it helped at the time because it let me know that I can do this.
0: Yeah. And was there, any, was there any moments, because something that you said was really interesting to me, you said, as it went along, you felt more empowered. So was there any moments that you went, no, hang on, I don't need your help anymore. With, you had some good male friends who said, well, I don't need your help anymore. I can actually do this bit myself. Was there particular moments that you felt that empowerment that, you know, I've actually got this. I can do this
1: well you know it sounds funny but selling my toy hauler was huge I had this thing in my driveway and I thought I can never pull it I don't want to pull it I don't want it and sometimes things are burdens and I just thought I need things that I can manage so um, just being able to deal with selling it and dealing, you know, people are calling me and I'm like, you know, I can tell you what I know about it, but I can't tell you all the mechanics of things. And, and I thought it worked out really well. And so just as I did stuff like that, I guess, or as I our, it's funny because our garage door had been not opening for a little while. And I don't remember it was, it seems like it was a couple of months or at least a few weeks. And for some reason we had not addressed it, my husband and I. And so that was something I took care of right away and I realized, you know what, that was not that big of a deal and I need to just take care of things because whenever you have things that need attended to at your home that you don't attend to, they just kind of pile up and they're yeah. like this little burden <laughs> that follow you around. Yeah. So as I started kind of taking care of things with the house, a lot of it was just that type of thing, being able to handle
0: all the day-to-day stuff that I used to, to share. Yeah and I'm sure yeah, that I I'm sure do. that many single parents who have found themselves in a similar position to you um have felt similar that hey that was their job before and now hang on Absolutely. I can't do it initially I can't do it but then right. over time you gain this empowerment like you've mentioned maybe not everybody does but I was really impressed that over time you've just I can do it, I can do this bit, now I can do this bit, and gradually you start to take over that whole role, and it gives me such a great respect for single parents, because what a big job, what a big job to try and manage. Right. I know when right. uh, Davina's away for a weekend, or my wife, you know, I <laughs> I struggle, I'm not, I, I, I can't juggle everything You're home with like the she kids. does. Yeah, that's right. right, when I'm home with the right. kids, I struggle a bit, but, um, so, Thank you for that. Thanks for sharing that. The I wanted to skip yeah. forward if I could because this is not the end of your story um, by no. any means. And no. so a few years later, older she, I'm not sure how long. Um, you decided to go back into the dating scene. Is that right? Right,
1: right. Um, and I'm going to go back just a little bit first. And this is a subject that I've it's been hard. I've tried to be sensitive about this because there's people that it affects, um, you know, my children, number one, yep. but, um, I had a, I had a very, um, at times very challenging relationship with my first husband. We had lots of ups and we had lots of downs and, um, I was like, you know, married for many years to him, four children. And I was committed in this relationship, but, we've definitely had quite a few struggles along the way and um so you know i've i had people very close to me say you know within a reasonable reasonably short amount of time after i passed away you know what i'm i know you're going to remarry and i just kind of thought yes i i'm sure i will too but i'm not thinking about that now i can't that's not what i'm on my mind at this time and so i thought you know a year before I can maybe start thinking about dating. And a year came, and a year went, I thought, nope, I'm not ready. But it was probably about a year and a half, I guess, that I decided, okay, I think I'm ready. I'm lonely. And that's the hard thing is, you know, I I thought, I'm hanging out with 13-year-old boys, you know, driving them around. And
0: and they're cool, you know, don't get me wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. They're cool, but I'm kind of like the third wheel or whatever. But yeah. I thought, you know, I just I have a lot of life ahead of me. I know I do and I you know, I need a man for my kids and I I would like a friend, a partner, someone to share this life with. So I thought my friends will set me up, definitely, you know. And so I kinda waited for that and it was like cricket nothing <laughs> and so, so they didn't come
0: to the party realized, your friends didn't help you out that's average <laughs>
1: yeah yeah I was like this is nothing happening fast so I had in the back of my mind always online dating because I knew people did that but it just kind of horrified me but I realized that that was what I was going to have to do if I had any interest so you kind of start looking at the sites a little bit and trying to peek in on what's available, <laughs> without exposing yourself too much. And you find out that they don't really let you do that much, you kind of have to commit
0: You have to buy. And so You've got to pay the money to you have buy, the buy the in, you
1: have to purchase your time. <laughs> and so the funny thing is, is, um, I went actually on a Christian site. And I decided because you can buy one month, uh, two, three, six, however many and I thought, well, I will buy three months because surely I'll find a husband in three months. And I thought I was really going out on a limb there. And it was, it was scary. So because you know, you put yourself out there online and you want to put yourself out there for the man that you want to date, but you have to put yourself out for everybody. Yeah. Um, which is really a vulnerable thing. You know, I put up pictures, I put pictures of myself with my kids and then I immediately pulled them all down except for one. I thought I can't, I can't put my kids online and it's, it's horrifying. And so, and it's horrifying what you find out there. It really is scary. But once I started doing it, I, I did what I will call just window shopping. And so, um, you know, and being sort of old fashioned, I'm used to being asked out by the man, not that I have to seek him out and be the person to start off a conversation or start yeah. off, you know, and so I would, um, I would, there's a setting that you can make it show that you're not online because if, if it shows that you're on the service, people can see and they might start messaging you, which I had happened a few times and I hated that. I only wanted to look at what I wanted to look at. So, um, I guess to make a long story short with the online dating is Lee, my second husband, is the only man that I dated online. I right.
0: talked so started talking to, with him online. Now, yeah. Did he approach and, you or did you approach him online?
1: Well, it's funny. I was looking at people, at men in California, and I very quickly decided that there was nobody of interest to me in California. And so, and I'm kind of of that range, you know, I was, you know, mid 40s to early 50s, where it starts getting a little bit more challenging. Yep. And um. so I thought I better expand my search a little bit. And I thought, well, I could probably live in um, Arizona, I could, I think I could live in Colorado, maybe Utah. Because I knew that having children that didn't have a father here, that I could leave where most likely I would meet someone who had kids that they maybe had to stay where they were. So I thought I'm going to be the one that's going to have to move. So anyway, um, yeah, I I think I looked at my husband's profile. And you don't even, you get to where you don't even open up a profile unless you really want to think you're interested because they will see that you opened it up and looked further at he them.
0: Sounds, he sounds completely terrifying. Can I say I've never done it's it. Horrifying. it terrifying.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so horrifying. And so I opened up his profile. I thought his initial picture was cute enough. And as I started looking through his pictures, I had the immediate, it almost took my breath away because I thought this might be the one, this might be the man that I marry. And it's funny because he actually told me later that there was actually at least one other woman that said the same thing to him, (laughs) (laughs) messaged him saying, I've looked at your profile and I'm positive that you and I are meant to be together and we're going to get married. (laughs) So I didn't do that, but, you know, he saw that I looked at his profile, he messaged me and I messaged him back and we started our long distance from there. But I was so not wanting to date and not wanting to, you know, deal with, getting on a date in the worst case scenario where he's interested in me and I'm not interested in him. And now I've got to get out of the date, yeah. um, you know, so, eloquently.
0: So that's how you met, which is great. And if we yeah. skip forward just yeah. a little bit um, through yeah. the we'll, we'll bypass some more of the dating scene, I guess, after you started to get to know each yeah. other and you were married yeah. um, later how, um, and yeah. you ended up moving um, to Utah actually. Right. Yeah, we. How long after? So I was going to say, how long after you met did you get married? And I assume you moved your whole family straight over to Utah.
1: Right. Um, We got married five months after our first conversation, which seems really quick, but because we were long distance, we spent so much time on the phone, and there was so much time spent talking before there was any things physical between us at all. We'd never even as much as held hands um, yeah. that we really got to know each other, all the questions. And he was really good at bringing up all kinds of questions. You wouldn't even think of asking someone so that he could get to know me. Um, so yeah, it was it was five months after. And my my brother had lived in Utah for a while. He had since moved back to California. But I always loved Utah. And so I thought, you know, I can do this, but one of the hardest conversations I ever had was when he and I had to sit down with my two younger kids and tell them the news that we were moving to Utah and they both just started sobbing. Um, so that, that was hard, but I, I'd never questioned that that was not the right thing to do. And he had a daughter that was in high school and he told me, you know, I promised her, I wouldn't move her from her high school because she's already been moved from California also several years back and you know I told her I wouldn't move her and I said well I haven't promised my kids that I wouldn't move them so I'll come there so yeah sold the house and packed up everything and quit my job and left all of my family in California and came to Utah
0: yeah Yeah. and so so you've arrived in Utah. Let's get forward to when you are married now. So you're married and yeah. you've you've got now two families, really, that you're trying to blend together. How did that go?
1: Yeah. Well, the funny thing, so um, Lee was super fun-loving, super enthusiastic, just fun guy to be around. And so oftentimes when I would be during dating and we were talking or Skyping, my kids would be popping into the screen and wanting to talk to him, and they loved him. Um. And so when we got to Utah, he had two daughters living with him and I had my two younger two. And so they were mine were 10 and 13. His were 14 and 16. And so it was kind of a big party at first. Our two younger daughters shared a room, they were like best buds. And it was kind of fun that his girls would do my son's hair and put makeup on him. And we just had a good time. He and I were newlyweds and just loving it and loving being together and and so it was awesome
0: initially initially and then it changed a bit though didn't
1: it it did um i guess it was in january about the second week in january or so we started having headaches and they were coming every day but they would come and go he would take some Motrin, it would go away and I didn't think a whole lot of it at first because I know headaches are so common and they're usually totally benign but they just kept coming and I started thinking you know this this is not right and even being a nurse I'm really not one to jump to conclusions or to jump to worst case scenario I'm very kind of Laid back, I guess, in my approach to you know it's most likely not the worst case scenario it's most likely just a, a headache, um, but I started realizing that this this was not normal, and so we went one night, it was at the end of January, he'd been out of town for i think five days, he was doing some traveling for business, and we'd been talking, of course constantly, and he was having headaches every night, and I thought, okay that's it you're they're getting worse as soon as you come back you're going to have a CT scan. He got back and on a Thursday night and the Friday morning, he was like literally on his knees moaning in bed and just like on, on his hands and knees, just in excruciating pain. And so, you know, on the verge of calling 911, but I thought if I can just get you in the car, get you to the emergency room, I took him in and, you know, said this is what's happening. And they, just didn't waste a minute. They took him straight in, CT scan, and um, got the news that he had a brain tumor. And they didn't, at the time, they didn't know if it was malignant or not. But based on the way the scan appeared, there was a high chance that it was malignant and a high chance that it was what's known as glioblastoma, which I have since found out there is Quite a common brain cancer extremely aggressive um, terminal uh, life expectancy usually of 12 to 18 months
0: and no cure how do you respond to that um, Lisa so you're you've just dealt with not that long prior um, your first husband Dave dying um, right. Quickly, so you didn't know about that, and then you, you know, arrive home and and he's passed away. Yeah. This one now you have your second husband only how how long were you married? Three months.
1: Three months.
0: Mm-hmm. Three months, and you find out that he has a a brain tumor that has there is no there's no fix. So you know that it's terminal. Yeah. What was your yeah. initial personal response to that in your mind?
1: Um, a lot of things going through my mind. Like I had mentioned, you know, I, I struggled. We, well, we had a challenging relationship, my first husband and I, and Lee, for me and for everyone around that witnesses, I mean, he was the love of my life. This was the man that I was meant to be with forever. And everyone knew it that knew both of us from both sides. And so I think, um, I know that for Lee, his was kind of denial. And I have to say, I kind of joined in with him a bit on that. So it was kind of a combination. You know, there's, like I said, there were some strange things that happened with kind of this anticipation of my first husband passing away just before I found him. Yeah. And I think I was also given some impressions with Lee to where when I took him in, I knew something was bad something was very bad and when the doctor told me the findings of the cat scan it was like I just accepted it I knew it was coming and I think I went being a nurse it enabled me to I kind of just went straight into nurse mode and stayed there really until the end because I needed to do everything I could to take care of him and to maneuver everything that he was going to have to go through and navigate through that because it's, it's so much, I can't imagine someone doing it alone. And so that, and then, you know, I do believe in miracles personally and, and Lee certainly did. And he was hanging on to that and looking for that miracle. And I wasn't going to deny myself the possibility of a miracle either. So even though in the back of my mind, I knew this, this is terminal and this is most likely not survivable. I didn't ever completely close that door on being the one to beat it because you can find stories. There's not a lot that on people that have survived, you know, 10, 15 years with this cancer. And I thought we'll be that people. He'll be that person. So I think that's how I dealt with
0: it. How long did they survive? Um,
1: Two years and four months. So longer than the average, but
0: um, certainly
1: not as long as we would have liked.
0: No, so I can't even imagine. So in the course of five years, I guess... um, Right, less than five years. You lost two husbands, one um, by pure shock and the other you knew was coming. And you mentioned that you went into nurse mode. And did you stay in that mode all the time or did you have days where you just fell apart and just couldn't felt completely overwhelmed by the whole situation um, I I held it
1: together quite well I believe throughout most of it and I did pretty much stay in nurse mode I think when I got what would overwhelm me is the combination of everything going on in our lives because we were dealing with being newlyweds and just the changes that you go through living with a person and being newly married and all of that. We were dealing with blending a family, which is as hard as people say it is. It's very challenging and we certainly weren't an exception to that. So I was dealing with that. Um, Lee had been living on mostly a residual income that was significant enough to let us both stay home and not work. And, Six months after his diagnosis, the company changed over and that changed and his income dropped 80%. So I, and I just had woe is me moments where I thought, you know, new marriage away from my family in a state where I really don't have a lot of close friends here. And, you know, blending family, not working, financial disaster right now and a terminal illness. I don't know if I can do this. And I, I, I did feel like I had just, this dark cloud over me quite a few times. So, and I thought I'm not a person that is a depressed person, but I think I'm, I'm depressed right now.
0: With, with fair, with fair reason, I would think. Um, and so I want to know, how did you deal with those dark clouds or those dark days? So what was your, what was your process that you went through to be able to keep kicking every day?
1: Um, well, Sometimes I just had to confide. I had to just kind of let things out. I have a cousin I'm very close to and and there were times where I just had to kind of just let it all out to her and everything I was struggling with and she just always kind of would give me some good advice and and just understand where I was at because you know there were so many problems in so many areas and and so if I let off a little bit of steam and and Honestly, sometimes I just needed to be away and be alone. And so if I had to go, um, I had a couple of patients I was seeing. I was working just a small amount and um, going into people's homes. So if I had to go to a patient that was maybe an hour away, sometimes it was just a relief for me to just get away, to drive away from everything and literally distance myself and just kind of be alone and think about things. And then I had to just kind of you know, the stuff with the blended family, the finances, all that, I had to push all of that aside and just focus on Lee because I was thinking about it earlier and I thought, you know, having that cancer, it was, it was like the elephant in the room that would never leave because everything was just secondary to it at all times. So I, I kind of just pushed that other stuff aside and, and just focused on him as much as I could and,
0: and that almost you know, helped you to get through it.
1: It did. I mean, again, it kept me busy. I was the one doing all of the cooking, all of the cleaning, all of the finances, the only person working, taking care of him, you know, physically and medically. And so it was it was a burden but at, the, at times, but at the same time, it kind of got me through.
0: What I think is today. amazing about, about your story is that you almost went from the furnace to the fire. So you're in a situation where you were a single mum, dealing with mm-hmm. the challenges of being a single mum after your first husband passed away, and now you move into what seemingly would be bliss, um, and effectively right. you're working as a single mum again, but with an extra challenge, because, you know Lee was becoming more and more limited with what he could and couldn't do. And so right. you, now you're a single mum working as a single mum effectively and caring for your husband as well. And what is impressive to me, that you won't think is very impressive, but what I think is impressive about what you've done and what other people that I speak to do is they get up every day and keep doing it. And it's in that daily grind that I think that's the most inspiring thing. Because I would think, how could I even get up tomorrow and face the same pressure and stress and overwhelming feelings of nothingness ahead Right. Or challenges ahead. So that's super impressive to me. And so a couple of things that you said there were really important. You confided in your cousin, so you had somebody to talk to that was outside of the situation. I, I think that's really important for anybody listening, going through similar types of challenges that you've experienced, is having somebody to talk to. And that's come out on almost all of my podcasts. Is having someone to confide in. So I'm glad you had that person. And, um, um, but yeah. at the same time, having, yeah. some to- having some time on your own um, so you can get your thoughts together and, and recharge the batteries as well.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I don't think you have any choice but to just do it day to day. And, um, you know, with that illness looming over us, I didn't, I tried not to think too much into the future and just try and live in the moment each day. Yeah,
0: and so um, Lee passed away, as you mentioned, two years and four months after the diagnosis. Um, right. How long ago was that now? Uh, it's just been a year in June. Just been a year. So super courageous to come on and talk about it right now. This is still very very raw. Um, uh, I think that's yeah. that's very very courageous. How do you deal with it now? How do yeah. you how do you how do you still? Um, not just go into a corner and, and cry all day, every day. How do you get up and keep going each day? What are some of the things you do?
1: Um, well, as far as just each day, getting up and kind of getting through it, there's, I just have found that there's little things, and I've, I've always done this in my life, is just try to appreciate little things that make me happy. And so it can be the smallest thing as having a nice cup of herbal tea while I'm doing my bills or something small, just something to make my life a little more pleasant. Um, I have started bike riding. Lee bought me a really nice road bike and he was a big cyclist and he and I never got to ride together because he got diagnosed just within weeks after buying it for me. And so especially knowing that that's something that he loved to do, I love to do it. And I get to be out. I love, have always loved being out in nature. I've always loved hiking and being outside. But now I kind of split it up, whether I'm biking or hiking. And I'm blessed to live in a really beautiful, beautiful part of the country that just, you know, I can, within 15 minutes, be riding by waterfalls and streams and beautiful mountains and country roads. And so I try and do that. And that just kind of, it's like, my elixir, my medicine, I used to call it every time I went out it's my medicine, I need to go take my medicine, take a bike ride or whatever. Um, so I try and do things like that, where um, I, I also think it's super important to just have gratitude and gratitude really has gotten me through um, both situations having lost with both husbands, because from the initial time of Lee's diagnosis where I had, you know, my family and so many people wondering like, why, why would this happen? I, we don't understand why you were brought to this man. Who's like this love of your life and you're so great together. And you know, everything seems so perfect. Why, why, why? But I learned after my first husband, because I had so much help and I am a spiritual person. I, I, I believe that God helped me through that so much and especially through other people. And I was able to lean on him so much. And I saw so many small miracles that I knew that with Lee, that he would also get me through that. So it wasn't, it wasn't for me to ask him why, because that doesn't do any good. And I, you know, whom questioned him? I, I think because from day one, I knew that it was in God's hands. And I always thought that, you know, whatever happens, God has a plan and it's in his hands. This is way bigger than both of us. And so I knew that he had a plan and that whatever happened was his plan and what was was what was supposed to happen and that he would help me through. And so he has. And I, without having asked the question why, I have been provided the answer why since his passing and many many things have come to me that have shown me that really it's not, you know, why did I lose him after only three years of being with him, but that I was given three years with this man on this earth. And the oh, what experiences. Yeah. Because
0: it flips <laughs> and the experiences it on its head. And, it? What's that? It flips it on its head. So instead of it being. Yeah. Why? Absolutely. If you continue to ask why, why did not, why did he leave so early? It's what a great blessing I've had to have three years with this great man. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I love that. You know, it was literally a fairy tale romance dropped into the middle of my life, and I I used to think, you know, not many people in the but, middle of their life get this experience of having this incredible love happen and this exciting, fun, just the full relationship, you know, brought to me so easily. I, you know, I barely had to date online, yeah. like I said. And, um, and so there were so many things about our experiences and our relationship and about Lee that were so stand out that, um, I think they're just the relation I mean, the, the memories are so strong and so good. And so one of the things I do that has been absolutely one of the most therapeutic things for me since his passing is I spend a lot of time at the cemetery. And he is buried at a beautiful cemetery right below a mountain that he absolutely loved. And it's very natural there. And it sits up above the city and has a view. And it's just gorgeous. And so I feel close to him there. And I know everybody has some people that's not for them. And I honestly didn't think I would be a person that would be spending so much time at the cemetery, but I do. And oftentimes when I'm there, I started journaling because I wanted to just write down memories of him and memories of us. And as I started writing, they quickly kind of evolved to instead of writing to my journal, I, I actually write them to him as if I'm speaking to him. And it's like, I, I told my mom, I said, you know, I talk to him all the time. The only difference is now is that he doesn't talk back, yeah. but I'm still <laughs> I mean, which I guess could be a good thing at times, but no, I'm kidding. He, <laughs> he, um, you know, I, a worry that I have is that the memories are going to fade and I think, yeah. you know, I only had three years. And what if 20 years from now, I can't remember certain things. I can't remember, you know, what it looked like to look into his eyes or to be held by him or the sound of his voice or all these different things or experiences we had. And so I try and write things in just as much detail as possible. And so that is something that I think is just a therapeutic thing for me. And I just do it
0: practically every day. I think that is so beautiful. Yeah. I think that is a lovely, a lovely thing to do. And I think we discussed on the phone yesterday that time is a, is a great healer and, and things get a little easier, you mentioned, as, as you sort of move forward. I do want to mention a couple of things. Is you mentioned some real gems um, when you were talking just then and you spoke about not asking why. And that was a great insight for me because I sort of thought, wow, sometimes we can get so caught up on trying to figure out why this is happening to me and how come I have to deal with this and other people don't. But your approach was, I'm not going to ask why. It is what it is and I'm going to deal with it the best way that I can. And and then you spoke about that perspective and how instead of it's, you know, why did I only get three years? It's, wow, I was so blessed to have three years with him. And that really speaks to that gratitude um, element that you spoke about as well, which is looking at all the things and being grateful for them and and I don't think we can be as sad when we're grateful um, when we're looking at right. it from that perspective. and so I, I just I, th- there was just some gems there that I thought, wow, for people that are listening to this podcast that are going through really tricky situations or challenging situations, like Lisa's experience, there are a couple of things that I think you can uh, put down in your journal or or write somewhere that would be helpful, and that is, To appreciate things and have gratitude, Um, and don't always ask why the the situation is the situation.
1: Yeah, I mean to ask why is antagonistic. I mean it's just it doesn't do any good. It's argumentative to me. Yeah. With a higher power, it's not for me to ask why. And you know, something gratitude is. I'm sorry.
0: It just is what it is. Sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and gratitude is so important to me and always has been. I like you said I don't think you you can be happy if you're not grateful. And um I've something over the years, I mean for years and years I've always had a, a kind of a fascination and an interest in people that have suffered through great atrocities and a lot of it going through like people that went through World War 2 and the Holocaust and all the different people from different countries and angles that have suffered horrifically in their life. And um, I like to read those because they're always a story of survival and getting through it. And so they're so always so inspiring to me. And I just always feel like, you know, I, yeah, I've lost two husbands and that's hard, but people have gone through much than me and I have a lot to be grateful for and I'm grateful that I didn't have to go through some of these things that other people have survived. I don't know if I could have done it. And so, you know, I I have so many blessings in my life and so many things to be grateful for. And I believe, you know, with all my heart that Lee and I will be together again someday. And so I haven't lost him forever. And I just have to be patient and do the best I can in this life to make a difference if I can or, you know, to make it purposeful. I, and to I not love that.
0: <clears throat> be, I, I love you know. that. I, I think you mentioned you look at other people's stories and you see them as stories of survival. Well, I look at your story and say it's a story of survival. And I think it's completely inspiring. And that's, <clears throat> that's your story that you survived through. And I I question whether I could, excuse me, <clears throat> I question whether I could live through that experience that you've had and so it gives me great courage and great strength to, to keep moving forward. And and I think on that note we'll, um, we'll probably <clears throat> wrap it up and I think from my perspective is you've gone through some amazing things but your attitude to continue to move forward and continue to um, focus on those little things that help you to be present and live in the moment and still be able to see a positive in a situation that is so very challenging not just inspiring to me but it will be inspiring to many people who listen to this this podcast and so Lisa I'm really grateful that you've come on um, to share your story with us I think it's amazing it's heartbreaking um, and it's yeah. I firmly believe there's some great times ahead for you as well Uh, but thank you so much for sharing your story
1: you're welcome thank you for having me
0: and so to to wrap up, as I always do on my, um, on each episode is if you know of somebody who's going through a really challenging time and, or has gone through a challenging time, but has the right attitude and really pushed through to get th- through that experience, I'd love to talk to them and share, help them share their story with other people because it's so inspiring to hear people as they overcome really great adversity in their life. And what I would encourage as well, though, if you've, listening to this podcast for the first time, hit that subscribe button um, and so you can get all the updates as each one comes through. But thanks again for being with us today and thanks again for Lisa being with us and have a fantastic day, guys. We'll talk soon.
1: Thank you.